Dropping the hammer. No, you're not. Welcome back to Dropping the Hammer. Uh, <laughs> how are you doing? I'm doing awesome. I guess we're recording. How long have we been recording? I, I, I pressed recording the second you popped in. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, then I don't, I don't know. I don't know how many. I, I guess I didn't say anything that was. No, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut out all of that. So. Okay. <laughs> I, I know sometimes I can be unruly. So <laughs> this part is recording. So I, I can say this on the record. Sometimes I can be a little politically incorrect and I can be a little unruly I can be uh I don't think I've ever heard you be politically incorrect I don't think no I can I can be on my best behavior I can be very no here's the truth here's the truth um I I I wrestle with two two competing parts of my personality and and one wants to be a a very straight-laced um very cordial and nuanced. I, I want to be. I want to be Nate Ryan. Right? I, there's a part of me that that wants to be. You know, Nate. Nate. Are you carrying a dictionary around with you when you when you're in that mode? Well, I feel like sometimes I'm I'm good for like a tweet that makes people go, huh? And I, I think um, the one on on Sunday night for the the Bristol race was uh, anathema. And people are like, Anna, who? And I'm like, well, I've always considered myself kind of a poor man's Nate Ryan. So there's a part of me that, yeah, that that that's me. But there's also probably a part of me that's kind of, um, for I guess a really good analogy would be like Bromberg, who like I I really like Bromberg, and I think that there's parts of Bromberg that is so obviously. Um, he sees the button in front of him and he just likes to push it, and I appreciate yeah. that. But I also think that Nick is super smart. And I think that oftentimes the the things that Nick puts on the table for debate, argument, and conversation are sometimes necessary topics too. So I, I think sometimes I'm, I'm a little bit of both. I, I can be nuanced, but I can be kind of hard hitting and, and not politically correct too. And I, I wrestle with those two you know, elements of my personality. <laughs> Okay. So anyway, it's Tuesday, April 19th at 5.08 p.m. Central Time anyway. And we were just out under about an hour since uh, Speedway Motorsports announced that we're going to get Bristol on Dirt Episode 3 next year. So, uh, and that's after, you know, a few hours after the ratings came out for Sunday's race. Uh, 4.007 million people tuned in, uh, which is the most anyone has watched any Bristol race, fall, spring, whatever, in six years. Were you surprised by that? I wasn't. So I, listen, I, there's a part of me that I, I liked having Easter weekend off because, and I, I said this over the weekend too, this is the first weekend where the burnout starts to kick in. Mm. And especially me with my short track stuff too, like I, I really feel the burnout. and. I've always enjoyed Easter because typically short track racing steers clear of Easter, NASCAR steers clear of Easter. In the past where I've done a ton of IndyCar, they've steered clear of Easter. And so I needed that weekend to kind of 
just take one weekend off and we don't have that this year. Hey, Dover's but, coming up. Just take that weekend off. <laughs> well, I got Talladega and I'm doing some some cars tour stuff. Uh, I think I'm finally going to have a weekend at home where I'm not doing anything. Not this weekend, but the weekend after that. I think it is Dover weekend, actually. There's no short short track stuff on my agenda either. Um, but I, I, I the reason that I enjoy having Easter off is there's nothing else going on. So it's the one weekend a year where I could completely detach from racing, from sports, from entertainment. And so for all of those reasons that I liked having Easter off, that was the reason that it made sense for NASCAR to try this and for Fox Sports to try this. Not a lot of competition. There's NBA playoffs, and and they were number one in the the weekend on TV ratings. And so I I understood. And they were were also up for the first time in in a while, like their highest numbers in years. So, And so I, I saw... I saw the merit of, of trying it. And, you know, once I got to Bristol, it's Bristol and I, I kind of enjoy the dirt experiment. We can get into that. Um, but I, I understood all the reasons to do it on Easter and it worked out for them. And I yeah. think they're making this racing product better too. And we can get into that too with this oh, car. We're, we're getting into all of it, man. We're yeah, just going to so, get in there. <laughs> so when you, you throw it all together in a, bl- yeah. in a blender very broadly, I understand why they're doing it. It would make sense to do it again on Easter, make it a, a new tradition, I guess. Um, so yeah, it, it makes sense. So I, I, earlier today, I, I just Googled what was the highest rated NASCAR race ever. Um, and I couldn't really find anything definitive, but you know, I saw things where like, you know, 20 years ago, there was races pulling in 20 million viewers. Yeah. I was like, wow. A different that, era though, right? I mean, you, you yeah. had- most people had 38 channels and yeah they, they didn't have the Netflix the streaming services video yeah. game consoles connected to the internet anytime we talk ratings and I, I know you know this so I'm, I'm not I'm not oh, yeah. you know, talking down to you but I, I would encourage all the listeners viewers however you're consuming this just understand it's not very comparable because the world no. is just so different but your point your, your point's on point so like so this is yeah I was about to get into it like that was you know for four million pe- viewers that it's weird that we're saying oh wow that's a lot compared to t- 20 years ago um but like the, the media landscape is so fractured um so but so when you get stuff like my last year's experiment experiment was mother's day ratings came back <laughs> big jump from I, I forgot what they were actually comparing it to but it was still like a, a big jump mm-hmm. um and now you do Easter, and those were like the two things that the sacred dates. We don't we don't race on these dates. Um, you could do that. You could be you could be sacred about stuff like that when you were pulling in twenty million a race. Yeah. Uh, you, you could we could take a week off. No big deal. Uh, you can't do that now. <laughs> there there are no you can't hold anything sacred when you're just trying to get to four million. Um, and this probably this is just a huge conversation to have that this the rebound that nascar is experiencing this year starting with hey it didn't rain at the day 2500 thank goodness and the the uptick we, we've seen in the set or eight is it eight or nine races since was this for race nine or eight i keep forgetting in my head it's 10 but i might be counting the uh the coliseum too i guess yeah right? maybe nine nine points races oh, oh you're, you're right so actually the, the the rebound started with the coliseum uh, with with just huge jump from what it saw last year, 
but everything we've been doing in my, my in my opinion i was thinking about this you know in the half hour before we started this was like this could have been happening like five years ago should have been happening five years ago um but five years ago we were still in a five-year uh agreement between nascar and the tracks and stuff that every, everything was locked in for five years and it's like okay great and also at the time nascar and smi are still public companies um so finally after i i, I can't remember when that five-year agreement ended um was it like 18 19 i want to say maybe tw tw was it 20 I don't know. I, yeah. I just I just remember each passing year we were like ticking down. Okay, when's yeah. this agreement going to end? And then it did. And then both SMI and NASCAR finally went private. And here we are with big bold decisions when it comes to the scheduling. And now we're finally seeing the investment and in all that pay off through these first, um, you know, eight races, except for Martinsville, <laughs> uh, the outlier, which it was a race on Fox Sports One which has me concerned because this weekend at Talladega is the last uh, Fox race that's on Big Big Fox for four straight FS1 races. So I'm now, you know, clutching my pearls. All right, what will be the positive spin that we have to endure after this weekend at Talladega? Well, also remember too, and uh, listen, I, 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 I see it on social, so I'm sure you're, you do too. People are like, well, this is why every race should be on Big yeah. Fox and Big NBC and um, people forget the trade-off that the sanctioning body makes is that, okay, well, we're going to have less races, fewer races on, on broadcast television to get more upfront, you know, cash from the yeah. broadcasts who are trying to grow a channel like mm -hmm. Fox Sports 1 or the former uh, NBC Sports Network. That's a trade-off. And the next conversation NASCAR is going to have, it's going to be number of races on over the air cable and then streaming. We saw yeah. it with IndyCar's New Deal having some races on on the NBC Sports app. Um, that's the trade-off. So would would NASCAR want to have more races on broadcast? Yes, but they also want more more billions as well. And <laughs> Steve O'Donnell had, had said it today on the uh, Sirius XM channel. He had said their consideration about running a race on Easter was it was an opportunity to have one more race yeah. on broadcast TV against less competition. So th th there's, there's so many nuanced reasons that go into whether a race is on broadcast or on mm -hmm. cable or when it's on what time of day, everyone wants one o'clock starts. I want one o'clock starts selfishly because no one reads my stories when races end at like, 11 o'clock midnight, yeah. especially with rain. And I know you've got this problem too. It's like when, when a race is at one, people have all afternoon and evening to read your immediate post-race stuff. And yeah. when a race ends at midnight, they're not reading it at one o'clock in the morning. And typically they're not reading it on Monday morning either because they've moved on to, to work and other things. So selfishly, I want one o'clock starts just for the sake of my, my page views. Hey, news, newsflash. Weaver says he's all about the clicks. Yeah, yeah, he is. Because that's how I'm we all, get you're paid. all about having a job. Isn't it great? <laughs> right. I'm, I'm, I'm about being employed. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's get back. So Bristol, you were that you were at Bristol, right? Yes. Okay, so this is this is 
part two of Bristol. If we okay, I mentioned earlier we're we're getting uh Bristol Dirt episode three. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna commit to the Star Wars uh phrasing. What what, what would you have called? What would the title? Episode three was pretty good. So <laughs> I guess it was. The, um, the ending was a little depressing, but well, it was, that was that was that was expected. Um. So uh. So if we're if we're looking at a trilogy of Bristol Dirt, what would you have called? What would have been the title of the first entry, the first episode? Bristol Dirt, semicolon, what? You know, you, 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 you've stumped me. You've flabbergasted me. I don't, I don't know that I've ever thought of like races as episodes, but they are. I mean, I mean fundamentally, right? If an entire season is the, the whole book mm-hmm. and the 36 or the, you know, the chapters, I, yeah, I guess so. I've never thought of them as like episodic titles. Um, I, I thought of mine would be Bristol Dirt episode one, the Dust Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I I I have things that I think about each individual race, right? I mean, it, it was a Dust Bowl, and I, I think let's just get right on into it, right? I, yeah. I think this race fundamentally addressed most of the yeah. challenges that they had with the first one, in the sense that the race was run under daytime conditions which if anyone who follows even remotely dirt racing you don't even have to be like an expert to know there's a reason why sprint cars and late models and modifieds there's not a whole bunch of of daytime races because the track ruts up and it gets dusty and it's just not good racing and so it was puzzling from the start they scheduled that as a day race and everything that could have happened there happened with that said i enjoyed that first race yeah. too because oh, yeah. to me it, it just turned into a a a less grippy pavement race and to me it was just mm-hmm. it was a half mile pavement quote-unquote race but with no grip it might it might as well have been bernie ecclestone putting on the sprinklers at bristol <laughs> right okay. so um i enjoyed watching drivers slide around and, and fight their cars and bounce off each other but it wasn't a true dirt race and and I, I think that was kind of the the pushback from not only dirt racing fans, but racing fans in general. It was like, well, if you're going to give us a dirt race, give us a real dirt race, which means not at Bristol. Well, it has to be at Bristol because it's <laughs> Speedway Motorsports date. But I think Steve Swift, the director of operations at SMI and his team, they went to work on building a better Bristol and they added the progressive banking, which helped catch the cars and they were mm-hmm. sliding having the race at night actually gave them um a lot more grip to work with and um an extra lane that widened the track out and I, the the new car you know the next gen um with the wider lower profile tires combined with the independent rear suspension it was almost kind of like a rally car i thought the way that the cars slid around on dirt it was very um rally car-esque and it's a kind of a similar setup to a rally car too. And I think it's going to get better, mm-hmm. even better in year three. And let me tell you why. There were so many, and we, we talked about this the last time we were on the show. There were so many problems getting this next-gen car to the yeah. track this year. And there still are, right? There's there's supply chain issues. Um, which which mentioned like that, 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 that those headlines, that narrative is kind of like faded into the background for the most part 
kind of for the last no, we're, we're just not talking about it oh, um well yeah <laughs> and unfortunately we haven't had to talk about it because we're not really tearing cars up in mass and i think mm-hmm. the bullet that was dodged was atlanta because we could have gone to atlanta as, a, as an industry and, and tore up a ton of cars and that race was pretty clean by a super speedway ish kind of it, it wasn't a, i mean there were multi-car wrecks but it wasn't a derby no like, no cars weren't written off right they could take yeah. the cars back to the shop and they had the the inventory there and i i do think we're close to where it's not going to be an issue which you know we're going to talladega so let's let's strap in right yeah but i think we can get through talladega and teams aren't writing cars off after Dega. I think we're probably going to be pretty okay on the supply chain and having parts and pieces. But um, back to Bristol. Um, getting this car to the track was such a challenge that getting the car ready for just Bristol specifically was an priority. Wasn't no. a priority. Yeah. I mean, even with like the 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 windscreen or the the wire that they they replaced the windshield with, right? They did that so I don't want to say that it was tacky, but it was it was clear that it was not a priority. Let's just throw it I, on the I, week before I, the race. I, I thought it was very very strange that oh yeah, we're doing this test a week before. It's yeah, like right. I don't yeah. I don't think this is a a wholehearted test. No, I think <laughs> I think what happened was is that they wanted to try. To, to put the tire through its paces and make sure the tire they had was good on that track. And well, since we're here testing with Stu anyway, let's just throw this thing on and let's get a little bit of data. And if it hits a home run, we'll do it. But more than, I think more than likely they knew it was not going to work, but it would give them a direction. So I think now that we know we're going back for that episode three um, at Bristol, I'm sure they can go test the next gen at any point this summer, the off season at another dirt track, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be at Bristol. I mean, just to be able to test a, mm-hmm. some kind of bars or windscreen or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think just having the car be ready everywhere else will then allow them to look at the tire, maybe bring a slightly different tire. Although I think this tire did a really good job. I, th- I thought it did good racing things. Um, I think that will allow them to be a little bit more aggressive with track moisture. Although, like Kyle Busch said, God <laughs> helped them out on Sunday, which I thought was a great line. We got all the help we could from God yeah. uh, on, on Easter. So, you know, yeah. God doing NASCAR solid, even though we're racing <laughs> on, you know, one of, one of the most sacrilege holidays. Yeah. Um, so, so, so thanks Thanks, Lord. Um, <laughs> hey, that, that, that was maybe that, that that was God's way of saying, "Hey, I like this too." Yeah, yeah. it's God's endorsement. <laughs> well, listen, I think that if episode two is better than episode one, it probably stands to reason that episode three is going to be better than episode two. And well, I just I just appreciate that that, that all the parties involved are learning from what didn't work. Like they're yeah. they're not sticking to their guns. Like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. It's they're, they're they they want this to be a good product. No, um, yeah. It show like the the interest in the show, not just with the ratings, but more people showed up uh, at the at the track than last year, and just from the eye test, um, that that's more people than that have attended the spring race since at least 2018. Because we all yeah. remember 
I would say image further. From... I, I think I tweeted earlier. I think I, well, I didn't tweet it. It was, it was a Facebook comment. I think 16 or 17. Um, it was a good crowd. Yeah, that place we, is we, so huge. Yeah. And there's so many seats that it, it will never look the way some fans will want it to look. But the other thing, too, is that for the spring race, the last couple of years pre-pandemic, they were actually closing off. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. I was about to say, like, ever, we all remember the image of 2019, the spring race, where the ends weren't even open. Right. So and, I think fans are thinking, well, I saw that race in 2019. I saw people grouped together. Yeah, because they were forced to be because they couldn't sit in the corners or on the straights or wherever, yeah. wherever it was. And so they had enough people there this weekend that they didn't have to to block off sections. And that was a really good crowd. Um, and this is part of a larger thing here right like my, my favorite thing about nascar right now is that and listen I'm, I'm not going to like everything god knows yeah. there was an experiment they tried the last three years that did not work for me and we all know how i felt about it <laughs> but beyond that i do appreciate and listen i i always said even about na18d as much as i hated it i appreciated the first year they tried it i even sent eric jacuzzi which is he's nascar's head aerodynamicist i sent him a, a message the the night of the all-star race in 2018 which is the beginning of that that package i said yeah whether this works or doesn't work or whatever i said i just want you to know that as a fan at, at my heart I'm a, I'm a racing fan i appreciate that you guys are trying something just to make it better for fans and i still felt that way even over the next three years where i was the loudest critic of that package i did appreciate they tried it i just think they mm -hmm. tried it for far too long so um, we, we we haven't actually gotten to talk talk about this since since it happened on, so um i want to make a larger point though okay, so okay. and this is part of a larger thing that right now after so many decades of the same schedule with the same yeah. car with the same roster we got into habits and it was so redundant mm -hmm. the nascar experience had become redundant and there were some things in that redundancy that we like we like martinsville we like bristol and we like yeah. road courses but it was the same thing. And what I really love about NASCAR 2022 is everything feels so fresh and new. And we're trying stuff here and there. And we're going to continue as an industry to try different things. And it makes covering the sport a lot of fun. Oh, and yeah. I would think as a fan, and I'm, again, I'm a fan too. I think it's fun for fans that even if you don't like dirt, or even if you don't like a street course, or even if you don't like this rules package or whatever, there's, there's going to be a... a a show for you at some point mm -hmm. in the year that's made for you even if that show's not I mean, you don't have to like everything in a season like you're not obligated to um no. like you know for, for up until you know last year i hated pretty much every mile and a half track we went to um with you know with the exception of like chicagoland the final two years oh which and that surface had gotten so good that it, yeah. it, it overcame some of the shortcomings of the low power, high downforce. That surface was yeah. so good and it ate up tires so well that they were lifting anyway. So it kind of overrided the package mm -hmm. a little bit. But yeah, like I, I was going to start saying, like, we, we haven't gotten to talk about this since since it happened. But how, how shocked were you at the about face back in December? Or I think it was December after, yeah, so... they, after the test at Charles. Like, oh, actually, we're we might have said in november at phoenix that we were committed to the 550 package yeah. on the next gen but you know what actually we're going to go 670 everywhere but the speed, super speedways how shocked yeah. are you well when is the last time we talked on on the show i, I felt like we did a didn't we do a show after that 
No, no. I could I could have swore, and it might have been a different show, and I I apologize if it was, but I I told this story a lot, and people didn't realize how it played out. Um, so if, if, if I'm redundant, and if your audience has heard this story before, either on your show or elsewhere, I apologize. But I'm not I'm not surprised because I know how how messy it got during the the Charlotte the first Charlotte test, which was um, I guess that would have been in November, right? Yeah, it would have been November because uh, it was right before the banquet. It was the week. It was late November, mm-hmm. and that test where they were they were trying different versions of low horsepower whether it's 500 to 550 and it just was not going well and that is an understatement i mean i had phone calls from crew chiefs and engineers and crew members i didn't attend the test but i was trying to communicate with a lot of people and just kind of get a feel for what's happening and there was one crew member pal of mine who says I have never seen the mood this low in NASCAR in my life, in my career. Really? It was ugly. It was, it was messy. There was lots of fighting. No one agreed on anything. The direction that was everyone was trying to get to, even in the sense that the, what NASCAR wanted it to look like, the teams then went back to the sanctioning body and says, okay, well, if you want it to look like this, you're going to have to change the rule package to this. The tires are going to need to be this. You're going to have to have even less power, you know, 450 horsepower. And NASCAR's like, no, 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 we can't have 450 horsepower. Fans will reject that. He's like, well, they're rejecting it now. Mm. Like, well, we need to have this type of close racing, but we need to do it the 500 to 550 range. And the teams are like, one, we can't. Two, we don't have the parts. And we can't buy the parts because it might make obsolete the parts that you've already made us buy. <laughs> and that was the other part of it too. Yeah. So we were really in the supply chain shortage then and both the teams and the sanctioning body wanted to try a lot of things. And you can't try a lot because you can't just buy parts for a spec car and then throw them away to do something different. So all of that is to say it was just it was a very messy mm. process and so then they went to the awards banquet in nashville and oh yeah oh, yeah i think yeah i've heard about the meeting that they, yeah, they, and they, they had, all had, they had yeah and they were able to get on the same page and say we're going to try this what what turned into running the short track package everywhere and everyone said okay well let's let's try this and see what happens and it it went well enough at Charlotte. You know, Charlotte's kind of like the barometer, right? I mean, listen, I love. Oh, no, oh, like I've, we've had multiple discussions on the the show with, with mm-hmm. other. I've had it with other people on here. It's like what, like what are, are the three tracks that you you really want to see what, what this car could do at? And for me, like the top three was like Auto Club, R- Charlotte, Richmond, and mm-hmm. like Dover's number four. Yeah. Um, so Charlotte Club, is it's a hard colors. Yeah, so Charlotte's a hard a hard watch, and it's been a hard watch, probably from the cut, the end of the cut era, on um, more or less, right? Um, listen, I like going to Charlotte, but over the past decade and a half or so, it's not been the industry's best foot forward. Well, ever since and they so, really repaved it, really. Yeah, 
Actually, I mean, yeah, totally. It, yeah, it's been and it's been hasn't aged like that service is at all. No, it hasn't. So the mentality was: if we think that we can produce a mediocre show at Charlotte, <laughs> and if we can go to Charlotte and have a mediocre test, then we're going to feel pretty good about it at some other places. And so, as it turns out, they they take that rules package to to Fontana. And mm-hmm. listen, Fontana is awesome because it's super abrasive and very fast. So okay, well maybe you write that one off. But, but, but yeah, it's it's usually oh, it's 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 fun for like the first three laps, and then yeah. it happens. But this year, it's like. Oh wow! This is what is this? I'm not yeah. used to this. It was incredible. But then they go to Vegas, and Vegas was was very fun, right? It's it's kind of like you watch a ton of old races. I thought the the race at Vegas, outside of like the stages and stuff, you could show that to a fan. Mm-hmm. This race, 2022, to a fan of NASCAR in like the, the mid 2000s, they would enjoy that show. It would look yeah. familiar to them and i think that's kind of the goal here is they, they want to create the, the kind of racing that captivated my generation yeah back then i i think this car is doing that early and there's going to be a lot of changes a lot of development but so far so good so far so great yeah except for martinsville <laughs> yeah I, but yeah yeah you do you you want to go there or no Oh, we'll we'll get we'll get there. Okay. Like, we're like we, I, I know you have like a long list, and I've got a long list. Too. We, we've got we've got like we've got a, a third of a season to to, to get yeah. through right at this point. Like with with Vegas, with like the last three years, we we would have quote unquote close finishes where second place was trying to get the first, he just couldn't get past the barrier, right? But this year, when Truex was trying to chase down Bush, it's like I actually believed. He can get to him and he can get by him. There was just a huge difference. I think he's going to get there. He ultimately didn't because the caution came out. Yep. Um, but I, I, I hate that caution came out so bad. <laughs> like it, was, it was a good finish anyway, but I, I, I wanted that validation for me mm-hmm. selfishly because I've been saying for years, this is what our intermediate racing should yeah. look like. And I just wanted to have the personal validation that, see, he caught him and he passed him, just like I said we should have been doing. But no, this that, this race that race really felt like something you would have seen in the early two thousands, um, because at some point, you know, in the last few months, I've watched like the ninety nine Las Vegas race, uh, which came down to uh, Jeff Burton and Ward Burton in the, in a fight. I remember that one, yeah. Great, it was, but getting the end though, it was just a good race, and it, it, then it came down to this duel between these brothers, and it was a race, um, and so this this year felt close to that it wasn't exactly but it felt close to it um, that race was so memorable it's funny you mentioned that race i don't i don't remember every single race that i <laughs> watched when i was a kid so I, 99 i would have been 11 but i remember i was actually at my grandparents house that that weekend and i remember that was such an entertaining race that it's one of the handful of races from my childhood that i do remember so well it's that, interesting that race got that play one. on like espn classic a lot yeah, I remember, I remember that. It was like, oh, why, why are they showing this Las Vegas race? Oh, okay, all right. That was old flat Vegas too. I wasn't it. Have, have they yeah, reconfigured? Have they, they reconfigured Las Vegas? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, I didn't know that. Yeah, no idea. Um, all right, I'll take your word for it. So, so, all right. So, after Vegas, so far, like the real, the two weakest races really have been Martinsville, and to a degree. Phoenix. Yeah, so the the original Vegas was twelve degrees, and then they reconfigured okay. it to twenty. Okay. Right, so yeah, flat Vegas. 
okay. Did not know that. Didn't realize that. So, so, so how much of a problem, like, like I said, the quote unquote worst races so far have been Martinsville. If you I, say, I, hey, Richmond, actually, I'm, I, we're going to fight. I, I actually I liked Richmond. Phoenix. I actually liked Phoenix. I liked Phoenix too. Yeah. Because like, it wasn't as good as last year's races because last year's races I thought were phenomenal, mm-hmm. especially, especially the fall race. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this wasn't a phenomenal race, but it had comers and goers. It had people you weren't expecting to be up front. Um, and compared to pre-reconfiguration Phoenix, it was a very decent race. Mm-hmm. Um, because since they flip-flopped Phoenix, it's been, been putting on some great general overall racing, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. So I, I enjoyed Phoenix. I, I got nothing bad to say about Phoenix. I mean, um, listen, it, it wasn't like a barn burner. It had a good finish, and I think oh yeah, those, those who enjoy you know the dramatic finishes you you know check was it was it a bad race? No, was it was it a fine race? It was a fine race with a, a really good finish. So I think that's kind of a, a memorable show. Yeah, Richmond. I I know we all want to go back to Sealer Richmond and the action track, and we're just we're just not there. And I do think we're going to see resin when we go back there for the playoff race to try to create that dynamic a little bit but i enjoyed the the, the strategy play and i thought that race probably oh, that, if, if you want an old school race that was it yeah and i i thought too like that one had a really good finish too and the thing that i i i was telling people i would encourage everyone to go back to my twitter i was telling people with a hundred over a hundred to go if this stays green we're going to get a great finish because i was already kind of doing the math in my head and i'm like well this guy's pitting now He's got to come back in here. And if he's on the two-stop strategy, they're going to converge yeah. 13 laps to go. And that's where it's going to flip. And it stayed green and it played out that way. And but it was it was not properly telegraphed on TV. No, and, and there's been there's been a lot of that this year, right? Yeah. I mean, all, TV, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, oh hey, here's Denny. Uh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember I, I walked back down to the infield. I watched that race from upstairs. So I I walked back into the infield with uh 30 laps to go or so. And I, I dropped my boat bag off in the media center and I didn't realize it at the time, but that's when I heard Clint say, well, that 11's going to have a shot here. The 11 and the four is going to have a shot. And that was like the first time they had mentioned that possibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, cause I thought to myself when I walked in, I'm like, of course they do. Like we knew that a hundred laps ago. Right. Yeah. Apparently TV did not know that a hundred laps ago, but I, I thought that was dramatic. Um, and I thought that was fun. And I loved talking to the crew chiefs. That, that was a cool part for me. Yeah, I, yeah. I read not, your, your, your story about yeah how how they went back. This was, not a, yeah. this was not a race decided by you know Denny and and Kevin and Kyle and um, who else was in the mix there? William. Yeah. It was it was a it was a race for Rudy and for for Gabe Hart and for uh, Cliff Daniels and I just thought it was a cool opportunity to talk about those guys because they're they're racers too, right? Well, well that's what, one thing I, di- I didn't know before I read that story you wrote was that um, I, I've always for a while now, I've been viewing Rodney Childers as being like the last uh, old school guy who doesn't exactly have a engineering degree under his belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't know that that's also Chris Gabehart's yeah. uh, background. He's also an old school racer. I did not know that. So there's at least two of Rudy. them. Rudy, Rudy too. Rudy Fugel. Okay. Rudy Fugel is not from the engineering core. And here's the thing. Um, crew chiefs are, are the, the role of a crew chief 
is very much changing, especially with this mm-hmm. new car. Um, the car chief is, is really the guy that from a, a competition standpoint makes the car work, especially with the old car, where the crew chief was kind of more, and I don't say this to like diminish their, their smarts, but the crew chief is more of a, a general manager. He's kind of the, mm-hmm. um, the head coach as opposed to the offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. They have, they have really good smarts. Like I, I know that Rodney and, and, and Gabe Hart, they're very smart mechanics, but they're not engineers. Their car chiefs are. Yeah. So their role is to make sure the right people are in place with the team uh, scheduling off days, off weeks. Um, so there's there's a lot to unpack there, and that's probably yeah. the story. But I would say the role of the crew chief is starting to change, especially with a spec car. It's not going to be about building the car and who can build a better mousetrap because everyone's mousetrap is basically the same. It's going to be about being able to manage people and make sure that you have the best structure in place. And that's where... Gabe Hart and Rodney and Rudy and really all these guys that, that that's their role moving forward I couldn't uh resin resin at Richmond um I think so because what I what I found out that weekend is that we all want the sealer back the the sealer made for really good racing and I think we're all pro sealer my understanding is that the reason they don't use the sealer is actually EPA related I think the, yeah, I, think I, heard, I either heard this from from you or someone else but yeah yeah the epa so they can't use that that compound anymore or they've been discouraged from using it so now you know they will do like a resin do we want to go track bite and i think we've kind of we're, we're removing the track bite from the equation now it's ruined a lot of racetracks and we don't want to make permanent decisions based mm-hmm. on a, a temporary thought process and we've seen what happened at texas where we're stuck with it. IndyCar <laughs> is stuck with it. So, plus resin really worked out at Nashville. That was one of the yeah. best races. Oh yeah, I can't wait for Nashville. Me I can't too. Wait for it. With this car, yeah, I hope so. Um, so I think they want to try that too. The, the crazy thing about Richmond is it, it needs a repave. It really just needs a repave. It needs a repave, and I maybe it's with the new car. And it is. It is the new car. The new car has less horsepower too, and that's part of it. But I watched the first first quarter of the cup race from the grandstands, and then I moved up to the press box, then I moved to the infield. I, I like to move around sometimes just to get different views of things. But what I realized was, and it's the same for the Xfinity cars too, so it's not just the cup rules package or the cup yeah, car. Yeah. They have to back the corner up so early now. Coming down the front stretch, they are lifting right at start-finish line to make the corner. And it's so slow. It looks slow. I'm like, God, there. It's for the first time ever. I was like, it's slow because I didn't go to Richmond at all during the pandemic. I wasn't there mm-hmm. in 21, 20. My last race at Richmond was 2019. So in the span of 2019 to 2022, even the Xfinity cars are having to back the corners up so much more. And this, they're running the same rules package from 2019, and so that's just the track aging even more over the, the three years I didn't go there. Mm-hmm. And so it used to be 
you know, they used to run up against the wall. You could yeah. run cup cards, Xfinity cards up against the wall. And that's because how, that's how it got that's how it got its name. Like yeah. the, the action track. And you had the two, you had the two lines, right? You had yeah. the guys who, who could run the bottom, the guys who were running the top, and they'd come together in the in the middle of the corner. And that's how guys bounce off each other. And that's that's what created the action. And mm-hmm. so now everyone's single file on the bottom and they're just running qualifying laps and they're having to back the corner up. So if you're not going to repave the track, maybe the resin will open up that second lane. But even then, I just don't think that's going to be enough for the car do, that has so little re- power. Do you reconfigure it? Like, do you, it, it's been over 30 years since it was last reconfigured. Do you do it again to some other thing? I've never thought about that because I, because in my head, I don't, I don't know that it needs to be. But I, I will say this. I think that it's too big it might be too big and that, that that sounds crazy right like it, it's not too big for the for the type of cars we used to have but if we're if we are going to you know decrease power decrease power and if the target is is for a hybrid engine to produce that 550 range um maybe everything needs to be downsized a little bit right well, and, but what do you have drivers talking about yeah the air out there really really got in the way like this is supposed to be a short track. Yeah. We're not supposed to be talking about arrow at a short I, track. I, I think sometimes we 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 lose track of the most important element, which is the tires, right? It's it's the one part of the car that's actually touching the track. So mm-hmm. if it's not the tires, it's this, or if it's not the track, it's the thing touching the track. And I do think that Goodyear, and I, I like I like everyone at Goodyear. I think they do a really good job to do the things that nascar and the teams are putting them in a box to have to do but they're very conservative right now in terms of their their compounds and you watch those old races and you see the marbles and you see the rubber that gets laid down i can't remember the last time i left a cup race whether it's next gen or gen six and i looked at the track and i'm like look at that racetrack look at the rubber on the racetrack look at the marbles it's like i don't, I don't think that at all well, I've, ne- I've never actually stopped to look to look at that that's never yeah. crossed my mind yeah because to me that's the most important thing and that was the reason why even at martinsville we were doing a lot of conversations about is it the tires and i think it's more than just the tires there but i i do think goodyear needs to do a little have a little more ag- aggression and we, we heard that both at richmond and martinsville um because if the tire wears a little bit more, um, obviously driver management comes into play. So that's going to create a little bit more passing because you have one person who wants to save more for later. Mm. Others want to have it early in a run. So that's part of it, right? But the other part of it is too, is just it, it opens up that second lane, right? Because the more grip you have, it's easier to, to wrap around the bottom. And so if the tire wear is is off, then you have to search around for speed. Um at Martinsville, I, I thought it was more than that. I think this this new car is so draggy. That that race at Martinsville reminded me of like my worst personal nightmare, which is the the races in 2019 where they ran the big spoiler. Uh-huh. They had 750, but they had the huge spoiler and the, the big. Um, but that I, I mean, you know, I haven't gone back and watched that race or anything like the race in 2019. But it's just that those races. Still, even though Martin Truex Jr. and like Brad Kozlowski just completely whipped the field, in my head, 
those races still felt more competitive than what we got. This yeah, year. listen, I, I think it was comparable. I, I don't, I, I don't know if it's better or worse. I mean, that's that's ultimately subjective, right? But it was in the same range. I think, like, I think they, you would, you would put them in that same category, and they had very similar characteristics. I thought that corner speeds were so high for for both of those those style of races, the, the 2019 races and 2022 for different reasons. 2019, it was the big spoiler and mm-hmm. you could drive in a lot deeper because you had a lot more grip and you had a really hard tire because Goodyear, if you're going to have that much downforce, Goodyear has to respond by creating a tire that didn't wear at all. So yeah. same yeah. thing. There was no marbles. There was no rubber being laid down. Plus it was, it was cold. It was cold those races too. The, I remember thing- it snowed. <laughs> yeah. Snow 2019? The, the, huh? Didn't it snow before the 2019 race? It was either 2019 or 18. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're okay. yeah. It, both both, both speed, trucks and cup got moved to Monday. Or yeah, tra- corner yeah. speeds were up for those races for that reason. So now the next gen, the next gen does have, it's, it's a very draggy car. The big tires, the big brakes, very similar. You drive in a lot deeper in the corner. And so as a result, how do you, where, where, where are you passing? How are you setting up a pass? Because mm-hmm. typically you, you set up your pass in corner entry. So if everyone can just drive in so much deeper now, how do you get under someone and then get back on the gas and, and finish your pass? There's, there's no mm-hmm. way. It becomes a conveyor belt. So there are some things that worry me long-term about Martinsville because if you're not going to make the tire less grippy. I mean, you you can change the compound, but it's still a very wide, inherently grippier car. Maybe you go with a smaller brake package. Maybe that's the answer for Richmond too. Mm-hmm. You take away the added grip that has that, that comes with the big the big brake package. I don't know. I, I'm spitballing now. Yeah, right? no, I, I, I think no. that might might be a good good thing if you did make them smaller. Um, but the thing that surprised me was like once everyone showed up at Martinsville and we got the practice and like everyone's like apparently shocked. Yeah, we're, we're all shifting. Like, and yeah. I'm surprised. Like, wait, you weren't shifting before? <laughs> like, oh. it, it, it that never occurred to me. Like, I just, I assume if you're at a track and you have to slow down as much as they do getting into that turn, that you would shift to do that and then order to speed up. So the <laughs> fact that they weren't, that, 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 beforehand well, the fifth gear. surprised me. Yeah. Well, the fifth gear is what changed that, right? I mean, they now have an extra literally an extra lever to pull with this car and with the the transaxle that they never had with any previous cup car before so you know it's funny I actually completely changed my tune on on this throughout the race and we all did right the the race we thought we would see and the race we got I don't think anyone expected that kind of race I thought shifting would help the racing because I remember We've had a couple of kind of snoozers in Martinsville. I love Martinsville, right? Yeah. I love half miles. But this is not new to the next-gen car. And I remember having a conversation with Kyle Busch um, a couple of years ago about, hey, what's wrong with, with Martinsville? And he said that it's all the, it's the SMT data. And we all know Kyle Busch hates that everyone has yeah. access to the SMT data. But he's, he's, he said to me, he said, if you're if we're all looking at the best driver when they're braking, um, when they're lifting, their entry points in the corner, if we can replicate that, then we're all driving the same. Yeah. And so 
if everyone can then replicate what the best driver is doing, then they're all going to be the best driver. And then you're not going to pass. And that's happened at Martinsville sporadically. So I thought, well, if you're giving them another thing to do while they're driving, it becomes harder to replicate the SMT data because now you're having to to work your, you know, you're, you're shifting, you're having to work the, the gears. And yeah. I thought that's going to break up that sort of repetition. But I think well, the thing that wasn't I it, did... wasn't it Kurt Bush who said he felt felt like an octopus? Yeah, like, totally. Like, hey, yeah, and he, he said like we're shifting at Martinsville. This is either awesome or insane. Yeah, and just that off that point. just off that quote alone, I was like, oh, I thought the shifting was going to add something to it. Yeah, early, I, really I, I did. I did too. And and but what made me change my tune on it was Hamlin. Denny Hamlin had said, when you're shifting that much, you're now no longer focusing on your your entry point as well. You're not focusing on attacking you're, you're racing the track is how i put it he says you're racing the track and not the cars around you and he said that oval racing is momentum based and the moment that you're now having to add shifting to the equation you're no longer racing the cars beside you and i don't know if that's an entirely true but i think there's some there's some merit to that and i do think that we're probably going to go back there and we're not going to be shifting well, Hamlin said uh, last weekend, like NASCAR has been very open about getting advice from drivers, teams, whatever, about what to do in order to fix that. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, makes me happy that NASCAR is, again, like I said earlier, not being sticks in the mud. They realize when, when they're not putting on something that's good and they want to make it better. Um, I think the driver's advisory council um, is going to be so valuable in this era because, I, listen, I, I know there's two trains of thought. There's the trains of thought of, well, the drivers are our best asset because they're the experts. If anyone knows anything about racing, it's the racers. And then there's the train of thought, well, if the drivers like it, the fans don't. And I, I've always personally hated that. I, I think that the smartest people I know in racing are the racers. And that doesn't mean the drivers either. When I say racers, I mean drivers, crew chiefs, engineers. And typically they tend to be um, of the same thought process. And those, those racers, the drivers, crew chiefs, engineers in NASCAR for much of the half past decade past half decade have not been aligned they have not been on the yeah. same page at all we, cool. we've, we've seen it very publicly nascar believes this mm -hmm. racers believe this and they're not really seeing eye to eye no well, remember like at some point atlanta the atlanta repay package oh yeah that uh well that, that's a speedway motorsports thing uh sure. that's a that's a well, we're let me let me correct because I don't want NASCAR people to get upset at me. When I say NASCAR, I don't entirely mean the sanction anybody, but I do mean the industry as a okay. whole. Okay. Okay. So, so not okay. NASCAR is okay. in the National Association, but the NASCAR industry. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, as I was going to say, like Speedway Motorsports, they they only apparently only consulted well, Kurt Busch. Yeah. On that. <laughs> so, um, but like, remember, it was a few years ago. I don't remember when. Like Tony Stewart, like complaining that none of the none of the executives are racers. They're just executives. But now we got Ben Kennedy up in there who does have racing experience. He's got a trophy. So he, he, he has credibility with, you know, hopefully he has credibility with people in the garage when it comes to stuff like this. Yeah, but, you know, the thing that, that, that always blew me away, I'm, I'm going to give 
a lot of um, credibility to a Steve O'Donnell, which I don't, I don't know. Listen, competition has been his department the last several years. So ultimately it all falls on him anyway, but Steve O'Donnell has been around for a very long time. He's a smart racing guy, like truly he's been around in the sanctioning body since the mid to late nineties. I don't remember the exact year that Steve started working for NASCAR, but he's been around for a long time. He knows good racing, but I think sometimes what happens, and this is what happened. This is what happened with, with Atlanta, with Speedway Motorsports. It's what happened with NASCAR and the, the NA18 rules package is sometimes your competition people are not totally aligned with your, your marketing people. And the needs of the competition people are not the same as your marketing people. And marketing people would say, well, we have data that says our fans want closer competition. They want more restarts. They want side-by-side racing. They want whatever. And then the competition people are like, yeah, but that's really not compelling racing. You need cars to be out of control and drivers wrestling the cars. And that's how you create crashing to get your restarts. But if you do that, you're not going to have side-by-side racing because you can only have side-by-side racing if cars are really easy to drive. And so I think sometimes the marketing people and the competition people don't see the same things in racing. And so- And then then you get the fan council questions that are like specifically tailored to to get something. But I think the the cool place where we've landed is to your point about Ben Kennedy. Ben Kennedy is a racer. Mm-hmm. I believe Steve O'Donnell at his heart, he's a racer. I believe that. And I think that if Steve Phelps, the president of NASCAR, can input, because he's, he's a marketing guy. He is, a, he is the definition marketing guy. If he can let his, his, his competition lieutenants do competition-related things, and now they're working together with the Drivers Advisory Council, and that's spearheaded by Jeff Burton. Mm-hmm. who is one of the absolute smartest people in racing. And the thing that's great about Jeff is I think Jeff has a lot of marketing savviness too. He works for TV, so mm-hmm. he understands the needs of TV. He's a racer. He understands the need of racers. And you put him in charge of this driver's advisory council, and he is kind of the liaison between yeah. the sanctioned body and the drivers. I think that's actually how we've gotten to this really good place we're in right now, because you can have people who understand the needs of the marketing with mm-hmm. someone who understands competition and all points are being weighed appropriately. And he, and, and he's a guy like he, he came up during the peak of NASCAR. Mm-hmm. So like he, he's seen what's worked and what hasn't. And now he has his own son who's, who's coming up through it right now. So he has, uh, he has the old school stuff to lean on and he has his son's experience to help keep him informed about what's going on in the sport right now. Well, the, the great thing about Jeff over the last, a lot of people could possibly view Jeff Burton as kind of a conflict of interest because of Harrison, right? Yeah. I get that. I, I, I just want to acknowledge that that yeah. argument's out there. I don't, I don't hold a lot of merit into that because I don't think Jeff is making decisions that will impact whether Harrison has a good run or not anyway, right? But the great thing about Jeff Burton is, is that because he has been so hands-on with Harrison over the last 10 years, is that he's been able to, to see NASCAR and stock car racing 
through several different lenses because mm -hmm. when Harrison was running late models, he was with Harrison pretty much every single weekend that he wasn't doing TV simultaneously to doing TV. So like the first part of the year, April, or March, April, May, June, I would see Jeff every single week I was at a short track race that Harrison was in. And so Jeff got a, a pretty good understanding of how do grassroots racers feel about NASCAR? And what are the things they do really well that we could do? I'll give you a really good example. We went to uh, South Alabama Speedway for the Rattler 250. And you can find this on my YouTube page too. There's an interview with me talking to Jeff. And he says, what we really need in NASCAR is like, everyone says we need more short track races. And it's like, oh, well, we have Martinsville and we have Richmond. He's like, no, no, we need a, a real short track race like this place. And um, South Alabama is like three eighths of a mile. He's like, we need a tiny three eighths of a mile, a quarter mile. <laughs> Guess what we had this year? We had yeah. a quarter mile cup race yeah. in Los Angeles. And I would not be surprised if, you know, Jeff's perspective and feedback was included in that too. So that's a very broad, uh, long-winded way of saying, <laughs> I trust right now, I, I want to be very clear about this. I trust the people who are making decisions and their level of communication, which is now stronger than it has been the last five years to get us to really good places. And it's because of everyone that kind of knows their role and they're just communicating so well. So did you, what did, what did you think of Atlanta? So I, I wrote a column on it and I so said, did I. So did I. <laughs> I, I said, and I can't remember exactly how I worded it, but I, I said that um, ultimately the Atlanta that we knew was gone. Yeah. And it, was, it was going to go away no matter what. And even if you repaved it exactly to, to spec, the, the Atlanta you knew and loved, one was immediately not coming back and it might not ever come back because these repaves can be so flimsy and sensitive and or just too good <laughs> sometimes they're too good but you know it's funny because I, I remember when they repaved kentucky mm. they had said we, we used an aggregate that's going to to wear really quickly and they managed to make that place texas they made texas worse <laughs> that wasn't just the it was the it was the layout too right yeah but there's no guarantee atlanta was going to to come back and be what it was. So that's consideration one. Consideration two, right, wrong, or indifferent, Marcus Smith had always wanted his own Daytona or Talladega. Yeah. And he probably wasn't going to extend Atlanta by a mile. He doesn't have the, the blueprint, the, the, the footprint on, on that facility to do that, plus it's super expensive. He found a way to successfully replicate to a degree Yeah. Daytona Talladega experience and I thought that was probably the best version of that vision that there was and then lastly I would just say that I don't want to do it everywhere mm -mm. but I love diversity right I, I said that I, I like dirt I want one more dirt race give me Knoxville Knoxville is the granddaddy of them all give me Knoxville and how about this for a spoiler I don't think bristol dirt is long for this world i actually I, I i think it's three i think you can do three and get out uh well maybe not three but i i think a second race at bristol is not long for this earth 
Oh, I think we're only going to have the fall race because okay. why? It, it's super obvious if you think about it. Nashville. No, no, no. Think in terms of this weekend. Oh, this. Oh, wait. This. Wait. Previous weekend or upcoming weekend? No, this past weekend. What was in the news this past weekend? It's an hour away from Bristol. North Wilkesboro. Oh. <laughs> so are you telling me that Marcus Smith using some state funding, some some of the, the state funding passed down from the federal rebuilding eight, plan? 18, 18 million dollars. Yep. You're going to put that kind of money into North Wilkesboro and it's not going to have a cup race? Well, that's I what like he said this weekend. He doesn't anticipate a cup I know, I know, I know what he race. said. I, I, like, I know that he said that and like I'm going to take him for his word. But I also believe how, how, that, yeah how do you how, how do you bring it back and okay we're gonna send trucks yeah right. that, that doesn't like it doesn't make sense and people keep saying well rockingham didn't work out well that was a different era too i think the expectations of what a nascar race is supposed to look like in terms of attendance and and tv and all these different things we're, we're in a different place now I, I think in some ways we're it's it's sad because nascar is no longer a it's way more niche than even it was before. I'm trying to I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't sound insulting, but I think yeah. NASCAR realized they are who they are again, right? They were not going to always be the number two to, to the NFL. Mm -hmm. That was a great period that we were all fortunate to live as fans in the industry. We're now back to our niche. And so I think that niche actually allows us collectively, the industry, to it opens up our playbook of places we can go, things that we can do that, well, we're not, we're not saying well, we have to have 80,000 people at a minimum or it's a failure. Marcus wants to go back to Nashville and he's only going to build 30,000 seats because in his mind, 25 to 30,000 people in person is a good day as long as you have the, the, the TV money to augment your so, so what, what, revenue. I think we need to preface when we mentioned Nashville at this point, are we talking about fairgrounds or because he fairgrounds. now owns both. Yeah, you're right, right, right. Or, or he doesn't own, he doesn't own the fairgrounds, but you, you know what I mean? Right, so. right, right. He has the contract to both and yeah. he owns the other. Um, but I think that if you have 25,000 people show up to a cup race at Wilkesboro now, that's fine. And that's the reason why they lost the race before is like, well, you know, we have to go to these places like Texas where we can have 130,000 people. We don't live in that world anymore. We do live in a world where you're getting paid by the TV, the TV dollar. And if you have 25,000, 30,000 people show up, that's okay. Uh, and so uh, I, I do the, think we're going just, to just, going the, to, just the visual of a full yes. grandstand yeah. goes a long way. I mean, mm -hmm. look, look at the national race last week. I mean, that wasn't that last week, last year, that wasn't, by definitions of other tracks a lot of people no but they like 40k some i don't know something like that but but it was full it was packed it was full. And, it was a full 40K. You, you had, and the only downside was that you had the bad traffic reports getting in which i was there i was there it was, yeah, it was rough I, yeah it was rough so, but as marcus said this weekend he's like if you have a really popular big event yeah. It's going to have traffic. I go to yeah. Cubs games all the time. Guess what? There's traffic in the middle of downtown Chicago where they yeah. where that ballpark is. Yeah. Comes with the territory. You're not going to have easy ingress and egress when you have 30, 40,000 people show up.
So yeah, anyway, like- to, to kind of go full circle here, though, <laughs> I do believe, and this is just, this is, there is no insight. This is not reporting. Mm-hmm. I just believe that if you kind of read Marcus Smith's playbook, his, his vision right now is he wants to be able to have flexibility with his properties. Maybe you can have one year go down to Nashville Fairgrounds. Maybe one year you can go down to the Super Speedway. Maybe one year uh, you can go to Wilkesboro instead of the second uh, Bristol date. And keep in mind, the only reason we're doing Bristol Dirt is the, the, the spring race was not working. Yeah, No one was showing up. It was not, it didn't feel like a big deal. The, the number of people who were showing up to Bristol would pack out Wilkesboro and it's the same market. Like it's, it's a little more than an hour away. It's the same demographic, the same market. So if you're going to get those same people at a Bristol and you can diversify the schedule, you can go back to your oldest track, NASCAR's oldest track. That's a win-win. And I just think that it'll take them a couple of years to get there, right? You're going to have to, to, to renovate the facility. You're going to have to renovate the grounds and the parking lot and um, Marcus Lamonas is going to invest in the city and he's building a, a Gander Mountain and there's some other things in the county that, that's going to happen first. My well, gut tells me a, a decade from now, cup racing back at Wilkesboro. Oh, that's a, that's a long way off. <laughs> the, 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 my, my one thing is I'm like, trying to give myself some runway, right? Like, <laughs> I think the truck you're, hedge, you're hedging, first. you're hedging. Well, it's not even, I'm, I'm trying to be realistic because I think that <laughs> If Marcus said the earliest a truck race could be there is 2024. Yeah. Well, let's, let's say maybe realistically then it's 25. So that's three years from now. <laughs> so, okay, well, maybe a couple of years of trucks, 25, 26, 27, it's successful. And the Bristol dirt experiments kind of wore thin now. And then it's like, well, you know, we've got Wilkesboro over here and we're still not really doing well with our spring date. Let's move it there. So that's why I say within 10 years. So maybe seven. My, my thing, I think over the weekend, Marcus said, you know, so inf- the infrastructure just couldn't hold a, a cup race. Well, in my opinion, back in 2020, uh, this sport really changed, went to great lengths in order to put on races under very extreme circumstances and did it. Uh, I believe I believe NASCAR can go to great lengths to make the show, whatever the show needs to be in order to fit the infrastructure at a place like North Wilkesboro. So, well, I would I, say I, this. So have, have you ever been to North Wilkesboro? I have not, I have okay. not, unfortunately. God, I, I would just encourage you, man, if you could, if, and I, I know it's easier said than done, but if you, if you get the chance to come out to the racetrack revival thing they're doing, yeah, see the place as it is right now, right? It's kind of a, a better version of what it is right now um and just see what the property looks like um you could see a version of that place where it's basically martinsville are you telling me yeah that like martinsville doesn't work martinsville works fine and kind of the 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 parking infrastructure you could replicate what they do at martinsville at wilkesboro like it's it's it's, the parking the parking's on hills the parking is on grass and like there's no that's the argument by the way that's the argument against north wilkesboro i was like well you have all these hills and it's going to be really hard to park people i'm like have you seen bristol in bristol but bristol's all paved and they've they've done a really no it's not all paved there's plenty of grass parking i know there but i'm I'm saying i'm saying in the immediate 
um, footprint of the speedway that is all paved near the drag strip that's all paved. So I'm, I'm saying you could do that mm-hmm. similar thing with Wilkesboro too over the course of they've owned Bristol now 30 years. That's why I say Martinsville, give it 10 years because you're going to have to, it's more than just the, the racetrack, the facility itself. It's the parking um, mm-hmm. nearby towns and your roads in your ingress or egress. And so yeah. there's a lot of work to be done, but I'm, I'm telling you right now, like the, the, the nearby infrastructure, if it works at Martinsville, and it does, like Martinsville, we treat Martinsville, it's NASCAR's oldest track. Yeah. Well, now SMI, well, it's not SMI, it's Speedway Motorsports, that's their Martinsville. And so mm. now each 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 company has their piece of the 1948 schedule <laughs> back on the cup schedule. Yeah. So like, go, go back to, to Atlanta. Like, I enjoyed it. I, I can, I, I like, I I was afraid to look away from the, the TV screen because I was afraid I was going to miss something. And I, at no point in the last 10 years could I have said that about Atlanta. I'll say all. this. Was it, was it too long? Oh, yeah. 500, oh, oh, yeah. 500 oh. miles of that? And I no, say no, absolutely not. I don't even think 400 miles we're, we're going to do next or June. I think 350. Give me, give me the Pocono treatment because <laughs> we're all just trying to get to the point. The point is the end. The big crash and the finish. Yeah. Let's make it 350. But yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. But as I wrote my column, I I'm, I don't like the reasons I'm enjoying it. Like, yeah, I, 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 I like, I mean, two, four super speedways was perfectly fine. So much stuff's been done within within the NASCAR umbrella over like the last three years to make to make things cheaper for teams and stuff. Okay, so we're we're gonna throw in two more super speedway races, two more mm-hmm. chances to just demolish a car. Um. And it's just like, come on, like we we didn't do it, but I mean, it worked. There were more you know, people. You know, the- you know what I enjoyed about that race more than I, because I didn't, because to me it was like my worst nightmare. Realize it was everything about NA18D, but a success. It was, yes. it was like it was the it was the it was the first track built with NA18D in mind. Like yeah. truly, it was. Yeah. Now, as it turns out, it's going to be the only race that, <laughs> hopefully, knock on wood, it's going to be the only type of uh in a 18d style racing that we have um but the thing that i really did enjoy about it is if, if i enjoyed richmond because it was a really good opportunity to spotlight crew chiefs i really enjoyed atlanta because that was a great opportunity to, to spotlight spotters in a way that you can't even do at daytona and talladega because at daytona and talladega there is a lot of just riding and things happen very slow there's there's action but it takes a while to build up to a crescendo, mm-hmm. but Atlanta, cause it's a mile and a half of super speedway racing. Holy cow. The, the spotters are going through four or five batteries. Oh, right. Really? Wow. Yeah. And they, they, they don't, they go through one, maybe two for Daytona Talladega. They were going through four or five because they were constantly on the button working, working their drivers through it. And I thought the, I thought the skill set to, to thrive in that Atlanta race was so much greater than even Daytona and Talladega. And I respected that in a way that I didn't think that I would. Like, so for one thing, I, I'm, go- I'm going to Talladega this weekend to cover it with first time I've, I've covered a race at Talladega. I, I've been to one race at Talladega. Hmm. Talladega is a, a bad place to watch a race. Like, like here they come and they're gone. Let's hmm. wait. 
uh what a i grew minute. up there so i trust me i went to races there as a kid and i used to go up to the 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 old backstretch grandstands and i watched races there and i remember as a kid i was bored out of my mind <laughs> and i loved racing like my dad's a racer yeah. we, we went there every spring and i just thought to myself i can't wait to go home and watch this race <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm not watching it now. Yeah, yeah. But, but I haven't watched the race in the grandstands there in a long time. Yeah. But I have from the press box. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, thank God I've got TV. Yeah. But my point as being is like, the, the, the in-person experience at Daytona, well, t- Daytona's kind of okay. Um, by the but, way, I say that because back then we didn't have the video boards when I was a kid. Yeah. But yeah. That's, that's okay. I don't, I don't, I don't want to knock Caledonia because they've done a lot to – improve the fan experience whether it's wi-fi at the racetrack for fans uh the big screen so you can tune into the radio there's things you can yeah. do to amplify that experience but i'm saying as a kid mm-hmm. you didn't have that and it, it, i'll be honest it sucked yeah but, but my point my point being it's atlanta it's it's only a mile and a half so the field is gone far for far shorter amount of time in a given lap um and you could I'm guessing I've never been in the grandstands at, at Atlanta. Um, I'm guessing you you got a good shot of the back back. Stretch. I have, and it's it's hard. It, um, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a little hard, but um, there's there's places where it's better. But um, keep in mind it's an old track. It's yeah. an old track, and um, they 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 really optimized mile and a half seating after that. Like, like I, I hated that Kentucky turned out to be not a really good racetrack because I thought the way they built that track kind of – have you been to Kentucky? No. It's just kind of nestled into a, a valley, and it, it was a really great place to watch a mile-and-a-half race because all the seats were really good in a way that Atlanta wasn't. But to your point, though, it is easier to watch a race yeah. even as Atlanta is compared to Talladega. So, uh, yeah, just saying that, the ticket my- – probably has more value for a fan at Atlanta than you, you would at Talladega or Daytona. Um, because I, I would never send someone to their first NASCAR race to Daytona or Talladega. Would never well, do depend, Depending on who they are, you might send them to Talladega. <laughs> it uh, ain't going to be about the racing. No, no. If, if I, you're I learned saying, a lot if, of, as an Alabamian, <laughs> I learned a lot of life education in, in, in the, the, the parking lots and the, yeah. the infield at Talladega. I learned a lot about life there. Didn't learn a lot about racing, but I learned a lot about life. <laughs> well, I'm just, I was like, if, I, if, I, if I'm giving someone a ticket, okay, you're going to your first NASCAR race. You're to sit in the stands. I'm not saying they tell or Talladega. No. And that, right. that, that, that's why I kind of hate that they do Daytona 500 is the first race of the year um, because it, it's just not representative Oh, 8 million people are going to tune in. Okay. So they- but it's the same thing as the Indianapolis 500, right? I mean, that place is not, there's no, there's not a good seat but, in the house. The, and you're, going ta- there, you're going for the spectacle and the history. And- but, I'm, but still, I'm talking the style of racing though. That's, that's, that's not far off from, you know, other, other ovals you can get in IndyCar. So mm-hmm. I'm just saying like the style of racing you get at Daytona is just not the same that you're going to get the next week, uh, okay. which, which, what was the second race this week? Oh, Auto Club. You're not, you're not going to get that at Auto Club. You're not going to get that at Kansas. It's like, it's just not representative. And so that's all, it's always bugged me that me you too. get. Me too. Because if you try to get someone to tune in and make them a fan, you give them the Daytona 500. And then it's like, yeah. well, next week we're going to give you Las Vegas. We're going to give you. Yeah, it's just. Whatever. Uh, 
Ugh. Maybe maybe it's easier if you go from from Daytona to a I don't know short track or whatever. Maybe maybe Phoenix, but it always it was always hard to me when we went from like Daytona to Atlanta because it's like Atlanta is ex- or Daytona is exciting. It's Daytona 500 yeah. and side by side racing, and then we're gonna go to Atlanta where it's spread out and single file. And maybe for a racing geek like me, there's things that I can pick out of that yeah. to enjoy. But if you're trying to hook a casual fan, it's mm-hmm. the same as going from the Indianapolis 500 to Belle Isle. <laughs> I've always yeah. hated that. They yeah. they have screwed up so bad going from the, the pageantry and the excitement yeah. of the Indianapolis 500 to yeah. the streets of Belle Isle. Go to I Texas. Did, I did, I, okay, so, okay. You, you said this on Twitter and I, 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 and I agree with you. When it comes to IndyCar, I hate street courses. Mm-hmm. Hate them. I do know. I, I didn't always feel that way. I thought the DW12 was a really good street racing car. This car is not. But to be fair, this car is not a good racing car in a lot of places. Okay. IndyCar is competition product. But yeah. It's struggling right now. But anyway, I I I, I just can't. Like um, mostly because it's open wheel and you can't avoidable contact penalties for the most Which part. Which is why the old DW12, it was that big brick of a car. They uh-huh. were literally bouncing off each other back then. I yeah. love that. I, I, I was I was like a total redneck for that. I'm like, give me car <laughs> drivers beating and banging like it's Martinsville. Yeah. Will Power yeah. getting out and giving the bird to uh, Sebastian Bourdais at uh, I forget which which track it was. It might have been Toronto for one of the duels. Um, was it the two and to is what they called it? But no, you're right. It's, it's not it's not a good racing product right because, now with single five. But that's why I'm excited for the prospect of a cup race on a street course in chicago potentially next year um and you said you're excited for that too have Um, you seen and these are all on youtube have you ever watched a nascar penty series race at toronto or um gp3r no watch them it'll 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 make you go this can work (laughs) well i think just just the one reason i think nascar could work is bumpers Sure. It's, like, very, you know, it's, it's very confined spaces. It's already working in a NASCAR series. Yeah. So it's not even like, is NASCAR style racing compatible with street courses? Well, I don't know. I've never seen it. I have seen it. It's They do it mm-hmm. twice a year, every year. And it's fantastic because it's Martinsville, good Martinsville with right turns for all the reasons that when Martinsville really works, you know, long straights with very short, abrupt turns. Yeah. That's that's street courses, and the Pinty series has a really good street racing product. So, but no, I, just because of the close confines, like Long Beach, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, that final lap, it was thrilling. Can he get there? Well, it doesn't. What it is, there's not a lot he could do if once he gets there to get to the leader, right? But if you you got a car of fenders, yep. he could do you something. And I, I've seen that time after time. And I think the closest thing we've actually seen in national touring to a, a street course is actually the road course at Toronto, or not Toronto, Montreal. Mm-hmm. Because Montreal was very long straightaways, very short, abrupt turns on a flat racetrack. There was no elevation in Montreal. And I would ask any NASCAR fan to give me a better series of races than the Xfinity series at Montreal for five years. Every single one of those races were, they were, they, they just, they slapped. They were awesome. <laughs> and if, if Montreal worked for Xfinity, I'm telling you a street course race would work for anywhere. It, it bugs me that they, 
the the 2000s in the early the 2010s nascar sent sent xfinity to mexico sent xfinity to canada but not cup for some reason i, I don't get why you don't send your premier series into those markets well back then there was there was no flexibility for for cup for all the reasons we talked about right we were just living in an era where we had a very structured mentality about where cup could go uh the furco lawsuit had just been filed and, and won and so we weren't going to move cup races anywhere and that's the reason why we lost montreal is is the promoter there said we want a cup race and nascar said no and there were also some bills that were not paid. And I, I know it's not so cut and dry, but really that's what it came down to. That's not true anymore. And it goes back to what I said about Wilkesboro. The expectation of what a cup race is supposed to be is now changed. And it gives you a lot of flexibility to go places that you couldn't go 15 years ago because the sport is just in a different place. And so if there was ever, a, I mean, they're going to go do a street race. Like they've already kind of tipped their hand, right, with the iRacing Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're 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 going to. So, to me, what's really exciting as as a as a race fan is that I want my series to be the most diverse. I want I want to be able to say that my my champion as a NASCAR fan can excel on road courses, street mm -hmm. courses, dirt, short oval, long oval. To me, it's kind of what made USAC really awesome back in the day. We're talking about Parnelli and AJ and Mario that to win the USAC National Championship, you had to be good at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but you had to be good at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. And you had to be really good at Toledo and you had to be really good on street courses and dirt tracks. Well, I'm not saying that it's apples to apples, the Cup Series, the modern, the modern IndyCar Series, which evolved out of the old USAC National Championship, evolved into Diet Formula One with a handful of ovals. The modern NASCAR is evolving into what the old USAC National Championship used to be because you have street courses, dirt races, road courses, short ovals, long ovals. And that's the reason we hold Mario and AJ and Parnelli in such high esteem because they were so diverse. Well, to be a Cup Series champion now, you have to be diverse. And that's cool. All right. So, Matt, okay, we're going to start closing this out. So, are we getting to 16 different winners in the regular season? Because we are currently at eight through nine races. Tyler Reddick hasn't won yet. He's beating on the door. Daniel Suarez hasn't won yet. Has a good chance of winning. Um, and there's so many... Half of JGR hasn't won. No one at Stuart Haas has won. Uh, guys at Penske or Blaney hasn't won. Logano hasn't won. Yep. Um, are we? Can we get to sixteen? So, in any other universe, I would have said no. It's not happening. And under the previous generation of cars, not happening because eventually, an organization is going to find something and. They're going to just roll off wins. Well, with a spec car, what do you find? Like you're literally it's the same pieces. You can't develop. You can't develop that piece that's going to let you roll off four out of seven. Hmm. I think there's a shot. I'm not going to prognosticate and say yes. I'm not going to say no because I, I don't know. My gut says no because it's still really really hard, and I still think 
even within the confines of a spec car, you're going to find something, some organization is going to find something. You're already seeing it now. There's certain teams and manufacturers that are doing better. But you 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 just said it, right? Like um, <clears throat> Harvick and Truex and finally Bush got one, mm-hmm. but all these marquee names, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that that a Roush Fenway Keselowski car wins at Talladega, given what they did in the jewels, yeah. right? Like Busher and Keselowski proved they had a, a good super speedway package. So yeah, it's possible. Like throw on Collie Racing. Like it's entirely possible that they could pull Justin Haley could pull one out. It's like yeah. Almondinger could get, get another one at a well, he he's not running for points. So no, that, that, that's still the owner's chase though. So yeah. So I, I, I like the owner's chase. It gives me another storyline to follow. <laughs> so, but there, there's, there's just so many possible drivers who could win who haven't yet. Um, so, so, okay. We're going to do rapid fire and then, I, then I'll let you go. I'm going to give you three mulligans, a, a race mulligan where you get to get a redo on some race in the past. I'm giving you a silly season mulligan and a NASCAR sanctioned body decision mulligan. So first off, give me, give me a race from the past you want a mulligan on. So I, I don't quite understand the, the dynamic here. What, what do you mean a mulligan? You, you want the, the, the situation to play out differently. Like, oh, oh, I see. Okay. Um, oh, oh, this is good. This is, this is a good idea. Um, the one that I want to play out differently. Like the people involved, they get to do, they, they, they have the knowledge of what happened. So they get to do it over again. Yeah. So. Oh. Man, dude, I've watched so many races over the years and it's hard. Cause I, I want to go back to like my, my fandom, right? Like I, I, I cause I, I published a story today. Like I, I, I want 2007 to play out differently. Cause I was a Jeff Gordon guy. Yeah. And I, I think of the way that, that those races played out. And so that's where my head immediately goes. I don't know if that really counts to the spirit of, uh, of, of, of this. One, of this one race. Conversation. Just, just one race. Oh man. Um, I'll tell you what. Um, 2007 Daytona 500 because I'm such a Mark Martin guy. Oh yeah, and um, I, I think Mark did everything he was supposed to do to win that race and played out the way that it did. And it doesn't change Mark's career. And he says it all the time: winning a championship, winning a Daytona 500. It doesn't change how we feel about Mark. It doesn't change how the industry feels about Mark. Mm. But me knowing yeah. Mark so well, I want it for him. I want that for him. A while, a while back, someone posted on Twitter like the onboard camera from Harvick from like the last seven laps of that race. And that final restart, I don't know what he did, but he just came up like a rocket on the outside. There was no way Mark was going to stop him. No. At all. It was no. wild to watch. So my, my mulligan is the 2011 Coke 600. Dale Jr. I, I just give me two more drops of fuel in that car. Yeah. Was that the uh, the mirrors win? No, that was that was Junior running out of gas to turn four and Harvick, Harvick by Harvick. and winning. So both did, of ours are related to Kevin Harvick. Mirrors, that was two thousand seven, right? Mirrors Mirrors won the six hundred or yeah, I want to say Mirrors yeah. has a six hundred, right? On yeah, a fuel yeah, that's that's yeah, that's his one win. Yeah, okay, that's his one win. Okay, 
So your silly season mulligan. Hmm. There's two ways this could go, right? Because there's the um, there's the decision that wasn't made, or the decision that that was, or it could have been a different decision. Um, how about this? Give me yours. Give me yours, so I can think about it. Because because you're hitting me with the question, and yeah. I, I've got to think. But you already yeah. know your answer, so yeah. give me yours. And let um, me think. I think mine is like there was like this brief window. I think I think maybe in like '95 or '96, where Dale Senior kind of broached the possibility of going to like um, Robert Yates. Have, have you heard about this? I, I have, yeah. Because that that yeah, Robert yeah Robert Robert Yates Racing was on the rise then, and RCR was you know kind of petering out. So I would have loved to see what have been like if Dale had jumped ship. And gone over to like the 28 or the 88 or whatever mm. and and right when right when things were getting good there and see see what, what like 96 to 99 could have been like so the the one that's immediately jumping out to me i don't think it would have played out well but i think i would have liked to have seen it um i thought that rusty wallace probably retired too soon i still thought that he was racing at a high level when he, when he finally stopped in 2004. And I thought that if he, especially with the, the chase for the championship, there's probably the potential of him having maybe a championship season, uh, a lot more wins. I just thought that he, he hung him up too soon. There was an offer for him to, to join DEI. And this would have been after Dale left, after Dale Jr. left. And I've never heard, I don't think I've ever heard this. Yeah. And Rusty ultimately decided he was he was too far removed from the car and he just decided against it. And maybe I have heard this. Maybe things I have. Fell, yeah, things fell apart very quickly for for DEI. They brought yeah. in uh, you had Mark and, and and Martin, Mark Martin and Martin Truex splitting mm-hmm. the the eight. There was the merger with uh, the O one car. Yeah, uh, I don't know if that changes the dynamic. I don't know if if Rusty is any good there. But I, I would like to, I, I always thought Rusty, and I, I say this as a Jeff Gordon guy, so obviously our fandoms are not compatible, but I'm also a racing <laughs> guy. And I thought Rusty Wallace was so good for the sport, his personality and the way that he drove cars. I would have liked to have seen Rusty in a really good car longer than he was actually in the car. I thought he just quit way too soon. He he had a lot more to give race fans, and I think he he's admitted that too since then. Right. So what is your sanctioning body NASCAR decision that I'm, ta- I'm taking out the, the high downforce package. Can't yeah. be related to that. I know. Yeah. Um, well, give me yours. Let me think about it. Um, pr- probably the, the five-year agreement with the tracks. That's probably it. Like we discussed it at the top. It's like this, the rebound for the sport could have started a lot sooner. So I think that, I think that's probably it. I'm trying to avoid dead air here, but there's just a lot of different things that I can I can think of. So on one hand, I, lo- I I'm not I'm not like the the diehard traditionalist that says, well, we still should have a, a year long championship and no playoff. But I, I sometimes wonder because like I watch mm-hmm. the World of Outlaws and they've got 90 races and there's no playoff and it's great. Um, I just got exhausted from you saying 90 races. Yeah, well, 
it's a different kind of, of format too. So there's there's a part of me that wants to say maybe never instituting the playoffs. But on the other hand, I like covering the playoffs. Like the the the, the fan in me, yeah. the fan in me is kind of like, well, I'm a traditionalist and it's robbed us of a couple of pure quote unquote champions. But also there's the the storyteller in me where it's like, I look forward to the fall colder weather and football and the nascar playoffs cinnamon coca-cola cinnamon coca-cola if they ever bring it back um i mean do can we can we can we can i answer this by saying the decision collectively from the whole industry nascar and smi to replicate charlotte everywhere because that's yes there you go that's not one decision but it's it's kind of a, a philosophical thing right it was like well we need to have texas and build chicagoland and build kansas and i think that redundancy we're still feeling those decisions today yeah. we're talking so much about dirt and street courses yeah. that is a, a direct correlation to the hole that we dug ourselves in yeah 30 years ago by building all those mile and a half and i they I they, 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 they built to the demand without thinking about long-term keeping the demand well i don't think they saw how the the engineering of the sport would evolve too those races early on were better than the ones today we learned a lot more about aero and mm-hmm. we've, we've we've made those tracks worse as an industry because we're smarter than we were we, we we're now hiring nasa engineers to <laughs> be on cup yeah. cars and that wasn't the case in 1996 mm-hmm. no I, I actually yes i love i love your 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 choice that's the that's the choice I, i'm hoping to interview uh marcus smith soon for a story for speed sport and I, i'm gonna I'll, I'll ask him like okay if marcus smith of now could go sit in on a, a speedway motorsports board meeting back in like 94 95 and you could offer one piece of advice to them what would it be um knowing what you know now mm-hmm. i'm just interested to see what what his answer would be so uh, not take- to re not to reconfigure Bristol. So you're having to put dirt on it 20 years later. Yeah. Yeah. 15 years later. So all right, Matt Weaver. Thank you for your third third visit to dropping the hammer. This was fun. I really really glad we got to do this. So this is always fun. So I would say any time, but that would sound disingenuous because I'm so hard to get a hold of. But yeah, I really yeah, do. I, so, yeah, I you- enjoy I enjoy doing this. It's always a good time. So seriously, thank you for having me on. And I'll try to be more. Uh, cooperative in the future it's not intentional i love doing the show with you so anytime i can i will so you, you have a cubs game to go watch where, where, where can everyone find your stuff including at uh, racingamerica.com yeah racingamerica.com matt weaver ra on twitter now i've since mm-hmm. changed it and lost my uh my my blue check oh. uh facebook uh, matt weaver motorsports and that's pretty much the trifecta all right that's it that's it this has been Dropping the hammer with Dan McFadden. I'm Dan McFadden. You can reach me at Dan McFadden on Twitter, Dan at gmail.com. And you can follow the YouTube page at uh, youtube.com slash Dan Please like and subscribe to this podcast so people, other people will find it. But yes, this has been Dropping the Hammer with Dan McFadden. Thank you, Matt Weaver, for joining us. Talk to you guys again next week. <laughs>